HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This week on Meet and 3, it's the final episode of our series on global trade. We're thinking futuristically, from China's ambitious plans for a new Silk Road to the future of borders and automation. If you're a banana, you know, it's easy to cross the border. But if you're a person who's trying to follow the jobs, uh, it's a lot more difficult, if not impossible, to do so in an authorized and safe fashion. They love food trucks and they love growing your own food because these things are not dependent on essentially government systems. So there's a whole politics to pretzels on the dark web. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, me, Zara Tangora, and Bobby Conforto, your mom. I'm Bobby Conforto, my mom. Hi, Bobby. Joining us for the intro. How, How lucky we all are today. Thank you. What's going on with you? Making soup. What kind? Always. I feel like I make I make one kind of soup now. I've come down to I could make any kind of soup, but I make minestrone every single week. Ooh, let's see what kind I, of veggies I, you put in there. I really add what it's really, you know, the whatever's left over kind of stuff, but I always have leeks and I have parsnip and I have carrots and I have string beans and I have sometimes potatoes. And I have definitely a couple of kind of greens, you know, whether it's kale or bok choy or spinach or escarole. I put in little white beans. I put in tomatoes. Um, I put in fennel. Um, yeah. And I love... And tomato. Making, and then... And tomato. And the secret, though, is that, that we get big chunks of logatelli. So I take a chunk of it, I cut it up into cubes, and I throw that in. Yeah. So between the beans and the cheese, it makes this lovely, perfectly creamy. It's good. Lovely, lovely. And that's, I just want to eat that because it has every vegetable. It's you know, so it has good. 10 or more vegetables or more. And I love it. I love it too. You do make a delicious soup. I also love making soup. This week I made for the pop up um, a chicken and greens and farro soup. And I. Did a quick, I didn't like, you know, buzz it completely. Obviously, it's not a puree. It's a chunky, like, brothy soup. But I did do a little bit of a buzz with the immersion blender. 
and it just quickly, just so a little bit of it got pureed and then mixed it into the soup. So it made it really hearty. It was really, it's really delicious. And I just got done baking for, so I do a pop-up now called Zaza Lasagna. We're in like entering month two of it. It's going great. Um, and it's really cute because the name comes from a business that you used to have called Zaza's Hot Hors d'oeuvres and we're using the logo and everything. It's very cute. Um, but, uh, I made a focaccia this morning. We're doing like a very limited amount of focaccia, just one batch per week. And it has gorgonzola cheese and honey butter and garlic and sage and rosemary and then finished with lemon zest and you kind of lacquer the whole thing with this honey butter through the baking process and then when it comes out at the end so it has like this glaze on the top and like salty cheese it's really lovely sounds unbelievable i'm running to brooklyn right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we have a great episode today we're reading a listener letter and uh I don't know if you if you folks have noticed, but we've been doing more episodes with just the two of us. And it feels really good to be able to. I mean, I love, love, love when we have a guest, and we're so lucky to have so many wonderful guests on the show. But uh, I love when we're able to also just talk to each other. Um, you know, it's wonderful because Bobby and I talk often. You know, definitely every day. Um, but we don't always get to tuck into like meaty topic. You know what I mean? Like we have conversation like daily conversation like how are you doing what are you doing today and stuff like that so I look forward to having these kind of like really like you know like meaty conversations with you I do too and for me it's not just the meaty conversation but it's being able to witness you uh, and the human being that you are and your your wisdom and your intuitiveness and uh, I love that I just I'm, I'm in awe that's very sweet. I always say that I feel like I have imposter syndrome because I'm here with you and you're like a real <laughs> professional. And I'm like, well, here's my thought. <laughs> here's my armchair thought about psychology. But I'm I've, I'm just learning. I've, I got it from watching you. You know what I mean? Like I'm learning from you. So thank you so much for being a good, a good motivator and teacher in the way of like, you know, mental health awareness and intuition and stuff like that. Everything I know about that, I really have learned from you. Thank you. Um, okay guys. So I hope that you enjoy this episode and that, uh, if you're listening from parts of the country, particularly Texas, where there's a lot of, uh, tumult and struggle and pain and strife right now, uh, our thoughts are with you and, um, reach out, uh, processing at heritageradionetwork.org. If you'd like your listener letter to be read on an upcoming episode, or if you just have a letter you don't want read, um, and if you have a spare moment, if you don't mind, uh, rate reviewing, subscribing to the show on iTunes, it's really helpful. It's how the podcast becomes more visible to more people. And, uh, you know, we think that this show has the potential of really helping people and, and giving them a little bit of comfort. So we want it to reach as many people as it can. So if you don't mind doing that for us, we would really appreciate it. And, uh, be good, take care of yourselves and each other, and, and enjoy uh, this listener letter. Bobby, send some of that soup over, though. <laughs> okay. We need focaccia and soup. Okay, we'll do tradesies. All right, love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bobby, hello. Hello, Zara. 
How are happy, you? Happy almost end of February. Yeah. Happy almost end of February. You know, I don't know if I mentioned this on this show yet. I know I've talked about it on Life's a Banquet, but um, I heard, I don't remember who it was from. It might have been Breton, come to think of it. But someone had told me, like, in the beginning of last year, that we were going to have a snowy February, according to the Farm- Farmer's Almanac. So I've been trying to tell people about this all year long. I'm like, just you wait. This February, it's going to be very <laughs> snowy. The farmers say so. And I feel like I've been screaming into the void. And look, here we are, a snowy February. Yes, snowy and a good time for soup. A great time for soup. An amazing time for soup. So we don't have a guest today. We are reading a listener letter today, which... I love when we get a chance to listen to a list, uh, to read our listener letters. I love connect that they write them. I love being able to read them. It's it's really lovely. And so if you, just before we get started, if any of you out there want us to read your letter, please go ahead and send them. Or if you want to send us a letter you don't want us to read on the air, just a personal letter uh, to keep in the vault, uh, it's processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Bobby, I just saw you yawn. Am I boring you? <laughs> Are you still with us, Bobby? Hello. I was shoveling snow. I'm tired. <laughs> it's fine. We're having a very mother-daughter episode today. Because we don't have a guest, We get it's almost like casual Friday. I divulged before we began recording that I'm not wearing pants. I'm just wearing a sweater. And, uh, <laughs> and that's, how, that's how this episode is going to go. Um, we are yawning. We're not wearing pants, but we're excited to be here, and uh, we love you all very much. So, should we get into our letter? Yes. Where Unless, is it from? Um, this letter is coming from a listener named Blair, and I I believe Blair is from the Midwest. I think she said in the letter. Oh, she's right, Tra- uh, Traverse City, just outside of Traverse City, Michigan. Oh. So exciting to think of people in Michigan listening to us. I know. Michigan, the mitten. It's shaped like a mitten, isn't it? Michigan? I don't know. Don't ask me. (laughs) Bobby, I'm asking you. What what article's clothing is Michigan shaped like? It's a mitten. Um, So anyway, Blair, thank you so much for sending this letter. And uh, I know we've, we've been joking around and having a grand old time here but let's get into Blair's letter which is very sweet and tender and uh do you want me to read it Bobby or do you want to read it no go right ahead okay Blair writes dear Bobby and Zara I was listening to a recent episode of processing featuring Monica O'Connell great episode by the way that's me talking um which was beautiful what an incredibly graceful and earnest way she has of coping with so many monumental losses and triggering traumas all at once Sometimes life can be so very intense and Monica's story and how she turned to her passion for healing was very inspiring to me. Um, I love to hear that, right? Sidebar. Yeah, Don't you, love you to bet. Hear that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I too lost my mother to COVID. Oh. She was 72 years old and passed in October, leaving my sister and I and our father behind. My father also had COVID but only a mild case. What I connected with so much from Monica's story was how painful it was not only to lose my mother, but also to be robbed of the ability to connect with loved ones during this horribly painful time. Yeah, I come from a big family in Michigan, just outside of Traverse City, 
and food has always been the centerpiece of our many family functions. My mother was always an integral part of in cooking for our holidays and get-togethers, but also the one who put dinner on the table every night for my sister, father, and myself. She didn't just put dinner on the table. She relished in it. She loved it. She was an incredible cook. And of all the things that she made I that I can taste just writing this, her baked macaroni and cheese was it. She was also a fantastic baker and was the kind of person that literally had pies cooling on the windowsill. My favorite of which was her peach raspberry in the winter, in the summertime. Oh, that's such a lovely image. Um, Blair goes on to write, I am divorced and I currently live alone. My children are in their early 20s and live away from home. So this pandemic has been lonely for me even before losing my mom. So strange to go from the constant family functions to nearly a year of solitude, with the exception of the summer distance backyard hangouts or walks with family and friends. It has been so painful to lose her, but even more so to go without the traditions, particularly the food ones, that I know would have helped in some way to be able to memorialize her with joy. She was so full of joy and loved life and food and cooking, and I can't seem to wrap my head around how bitter it is to have to send her off this way. Um, I am wondering if you two might have any suggestions for how to celebrate my mother and capture her spirit and love for food and celebration with cel- with, when celebration and togetherness isn't possible. Thank you for this podcast. It helps people in ways that you probably cannot even imagine. Listening to other people share their unique stories of loss has helped me get through some of the darker moments of this past year as I know that I'm not alone, but rather part of a community of people that can relate to my pain. With love and gratitude, Blair. Oh, so lovely. Really. Oh, Blair, thank you for that really gorgeous letter. What a what a sweet, lovely, sad, quite sad letter. It made, yeah. really made me sad. It really like also made me just realize, you know, even though there's been so many hard times over this past year, for me personally, I feel lucky in so many ways you know what I mean it's so terrible to think of people who have so many people who have lost their loved ones during this crisis either to COVID or just lost people for other reasons but you know exactly like exactly yeah. yeah yeah well you know I, I work directly with families who have lost family members to COVID and so for me it really brought up so many of those people and the kind of struggles they're going through and you know it's from the very start of getting the illness and often they get it too. So in other words, they're sick while their loved one is sick. And then their loved one goes to the hospital while they're sick and they can't do anything. They, they have to be in um, separated for you know up to two weeks. So then um, they can't get information from the hospital. And I think one of the biggest things that I've been touched by is how afraid that most people are that their loved ones are alone in the hospital. So it's not just that they can't see them, but they're so upset that their loved ones are alone. So it's like a whole nother element. It's really wild. And, you know, we've talked, uh, we've talked a bit about COVID on the show and in different ways, right? Like we had our crisis catch-ups with like our former guests at the beginning, touching base with how people were doing. We talked to Eli Sussman about, you know, losing his business, Samisa. We've talked about COVID, I think, with many guests since in some way or another but I don't we haven't really like had a show where we talked fully about like the incredible immense impact that this has had uh 
on, I mean, our country, our world, our society. And just like, I had this thought this morning just of, so it's been snowing a lot here in February, right? As we mentioned earlier. And um, I notice a couple days after a snowstorm that people start to, the energy starts to really break down in a, in a negative way. Um, because people are annoyed that like there's traffic because other people are trying to dig their cars out or they slipped on a ice or stepped in a slushy puddle or whatever. And and the vibe starts to really get strange. Uh, you can feel it. It's tense. And I don't think we've touched on so much like how that, that thought translates into what's happened with grief. There's so much grief that's happened because of COVID and all the deaths that have happened and it just permeating, you know, and now here we are a year out and there's so much grief everywhere. It's, it's like the two days after the snowstorm kind of like, you know, metaphor expanded times a million. And it's so, it's so like ever present. And I think that this is a time where we like, we've been able to talk about grief more openly as a society because we are experiencing it. But I think what we're not talking about is like, what is all of this like veiny, like stinky, like horrible, you know what I mean? Like permeating grief doing to us. Like it's really sinking in. I was thinking of the word when you described the snow, I was thinking the word doldrums. And then I thought of soldrums and really our souls are in the doldrums. Yeah. Yeah. So much loss, so much loss. You know, something came to mind when you were talking, I was remembering that when I worked in nine 11 project, which I did for four years, um, a lot of people who had losses during that time of 9-11, but not from, not from the towers, yeah. they were very upset because they felt that their loss was disenfranchised, that it was not recognized. There was so much loss around that their loss got, was, became invisible. It became yeah, um, pale in the face of other losses. So I think you mentioned before, it's not only people who've lost family members from COVID, but it's also all the people that have had losses this year, you know, their losses are paled in the face of all the loss. Absolutely. But I, I mean, and I just like, I guess in doing the first episode really since COVID, that's really talking. Cause I think we're going to really talk into it a lot here today just to sit and take a minute and recognize that, like, what an impact, what like the, the, the level to which this has really affected everyone consciously and subconsciously, you know what I mean? And I think like, you know, we are given talking points and then we develop our own talking points through those talking points. And, you know, it's a lot of the same conversation and a lot of it is used to like cope, like, Oh, how are you doing? This time is so crazy. What a wild year. And it is, but like, it's really fucked up, right? It's really fucked up. And I think we can only take in so much of that as well at once to just continue to go through the day. It's really fucked up and the vibe is fucked up and it's going to take a lot of healing. And it's one of those times when you're like, <laughs> it's funny to use another kind of biz- like uh, unusual metaphor. Last night, I'm doing this pop up now, um, which is really fun, but it's like being in a kitchen, a professional kitchen again is interesting and all the things that come up that, you know, you forget. And so I was talking to my friend who I'm working with and basically like he needed a pan that was full of something else. So what he needed to do was take the stuff out of the pan, clean the pan and 
use that pan. And that would have taken a long time. And, but we both looked at each other and we're like, you know, you need to use that pan though. Right. And, and then we started talking about like in kitchens, um, the moment when you realize the thing, you know, you have to do to do it the right way is going to be really annoying and take a long time. And it's not, you just want to use the pan now. Right. Like, or you're going to grab a smaller pan, but like you, it clicks in your mind. You're like, if I use the smaller pan, this project will take me forever. It won't come out right. Like what I need to do is do the hard work of cleaning this thing that I don't want to. And I think like where we are uh, societally with the grieving process of COVID is kind of like, okay, we're reali- we are realizing we have to clean the big pan. It's a long time. It's not the like, okay, well, you know, the vaccine will come out and the uh, economy will bounce back. And like, yes, that's one part of it. But like, there is a long kind of, you know, clean up and a and a that moment when we realize the project to to do it the right way is going to be big, much you know? much greater a project than we thought. And I'll be honest with you, when I you know I'm somewhat of a news watcher, and uh, when I turn on whatever channel I'm listening to, and they have the total deaths, I always try to stand like in memoriam at those moments. I really try to take it in. I try very hard not to let that number just you know, clash the screen, I have 441. I don't do that. I really, really pay attention to that. It's so powerful. Yeah, it really, it really is. It really is. And again, just to go back to the earlier point, when you think of hundreds of thousands of people dying from a virus in this country alone in one year, um, I just don't forget like how, how much that has, how much that grief has really infiltrated our day-to-day life. It really is part of what we're doing now. And I, I hope, and that doesn't, you know, I actually read something this morning. Um, it was on Georgia Hardstark's Instagram and, uh, I thought it was really, really interesting. And I took a picture of it cause I wanted to just repeat it. And now I feel like it's a good time, but I think this has to do with grief in general, but also with the grief that we're talking about with COVID because I think what people think about grief is that you're supposed to get over it and it's supposed to go away and so you can move on. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like that. You know what I mean? Like you, you don't have to get over it to move on. You can keep moving on with it and manage exactly. it and deal well, with it. That's the definition of grief. Right. <laughs> and so like, but we are all like living with a lot of, of a universal grief now that we don't have to like. It doesn't take a, it's not like we get the vaccine and then we move on. We no, get it's a layer va- of us. It's a permanent layer of us. Exactly. And so this I thought was really great. And uh, thank you to Georgia Hardstark for posting this. Um, so it says, a little secret from a therapist. There are some things that you may never get over. You aren't supposed to exist as if things didn't happen to you. Grief is a sign that you care deeply and that you were impacted Feel it without trying to forget. So I really love that. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So should we get back into the letter? Yes, let's do that. You know, I was thinking a lot about this um, when you when I read this letter. And I realized that what Blair is really saying is that she didn't have the opportunities for the rituals that we're used to and for the, um, in a way, for the, the services that we normally have, which are our community rituals that we have. So I gave a lot of thought to that myself about personal rituals. So I would like to um, discuss with Blair and the audience about the fact that we're used to 
religious rituals. You know, there are things we, we do the same. Some people go to church and they have certain things that they follow and or they have their um, nationality or ethnicity that teaches them what to do. But we have the opportunity to create personal rituals. And I think this is an opportunity now to um, for Blair to think about what she can do individually as a person to create rituals that are meaningful to her that remind her of her mother. So um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, ceremonies. And in a way, ceremonies are the process of connecting some, to something larger than ourselves. You know, with our weddings and funerals and baptisms and all the things we do. And the ritual is a component of ceremony. So the ceremony is like the canvas and the ritual is like the paints that we put on the canvas, the personal touches that we put onto it. So rituals can be done unconsciously, which we do, um, but we also can do them very consciously, no, consciously and unconsciously. Um, there's no magic technique for doing this. It's just a matter of being in the moment. So some of the things that, you know, for instance, rituals involve prayer. Sometimes we use, you know, power objects like our churches have all those kinds of objects that are traditional. Um, feasting is something that we know is part of um, funeral rituals. Special foods, certain kinds of foods. Um, sometimes, again, in church, they use water, music, singing, chanting, dance, an altar. The use of candles. I mean, you know, in my own life, I use candles as a daily ritual. You do. Yeah, you um, do have a I do. candle yeah. practice. Yeah. yeah. Burying things in the ground. Burning oh, yeah. things. I love burying. Bur I'm yeah. into burying and burning. Yeah, exactly. I'm a burier um, and burner. Exchange or presenting of gifts. Crystals. Can I go back to something quickly about burying that I want to just mention? Yes. Because it's a personal story. <laughs> um. When my dad was very sick, which he was for many years, but at one of the worst times, right, I believe it was right before he died, I had come back to New York for a little bit from North Carolina, and uh, I had taken an, a spare key to his house, and I went to grandma and grandpa to his parents' grave, and I buried the key to his house. Well, no, it couldn't have been when he died because he was in the hospital. It was when he was still at home. But anyway, it was near the end of his life. And I buried the key for at grandma and grandpa's grave and so they could go. And, you know, I don't know what I believe about the afterlife. I I don't have a fixed opinion of it. I have a very loose, I, I literally know nothing. I have hopes and I have a spiritual element, to, but uh, just saying that. But anyway, I buried the key so that they could go in and check on him, you know, and that was my like little. So tender and so yeah. sweet. It's still and there. I, and I know you probably didn't exactly planted it came from this unconscious kind of deep inside of you state and yet it gave meaning to what you were feeling and it also gave a relief and I think that's the issue is that we sometimes need a relief and what Blair was saying is that she has no relief in her grief and so you know your description is perfect because that was a way for you to relieve the the, the sense of dad being alone and again, I talk about the I don't knowness. You know, I agree with you completely. What the bleep do we know? We really don't know. But yeah. um, well, but we also, just feel something. It, yeah, and it's also about like it. It feels good to feel good about yourself. 
You know what I mean? Like it feels good to feel, we have this little bit of time. It felt good for me to be like, I'm burying this key because that's a sweet thing to do. You know what I mean? That's the part that I knew was real. I have no idea if there's spirits, if they use a key, if there's an afterlife. But I do know that I felt, and I'm being very honest right now, that I felt like a good daughter for doing that because I felt like it was a sweet gesture. And sometimes I think you were in your love. You were in your love. Yeah, and sometimes doing those things, you can't can't negate the importance of of doing things that make you feel feel good because they're sweet. You know what I mean? That's important. And often it's important for how it translates like if you're doing something that's good-natured and sweet and helpful, you know, for your community, that can actually be helpful. But like, for instance, this was just something that I felt like good about for myself. And I still do when I think about it. And I feel good telling other people about it too. And that's important. And that's okay. That's not like weird. It doesn't make you like a narcissist. It's, it's good. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I say is that rituals are like bridges that we build from pain to not just relief, but to getting in touch with with spirit, something larger than ourselves. It's like a bridge. So when you're filled with that pain and not knowing how to connect and feeling so missing of somebody and, and the loss, it, you created a bridge. You felt closer. Yeah. You and know, I think and that's I, so powerful. I think about my friend Steve, who's such a, like a nihilist and a pragmatist and doesn't believe in anything after. And, you know, I, there's a side of me that agrees with that too. But I guess what I'm thinking is like, you know, we were, his dad passed away too a couple of years ago. And something when you said something bigger than yourself, like just to be clear to our audience, like that can be, that doesn't mean God necessarily. That doesn't mean things that you can't see. The something bigger than yourself can be, you know, the can be nature. It can be the, the universe. Uh, yeah. It's the universe. Right. That's, like, it that doesn't have, if you're not yeah, a exactly. heady person, Absolutely. It doesn't mean that that theory is not for you. you know? 100%. So also the concept of prayer, you know, again, we have our formal prayers that, that people have that are very, very important to them, but prayer can be anything that we do with intention, with respect, with mindfulness, with honoring, um, the spirit consciousness. And again, spirit consciousness does, has, does not have to do anything to do with God or whatever that concept is, it can be the universe. Right. Because and prayer so, can also just be gratitude. Yes, exactly. For the things that are tangible. That's right. Exactly right. So I found this um, wonderful quote from Meister Eckhart. If the only prayer you ever, ever say in your entire life is thank you, it will be enough. <laughs> that's, that's just what you said. I thought that was fantastic. So there's prayer and then there's... Um, you know, something like creating an altar. So I wanted to tell a little story about my own ritual. And this is again to Blair. This was a way that I dealt with my mother's death. Um, my mother's death was also, her funeral was very far and I, I'm not going to get into the details, but it was not a heartwarming, loving kind of um, experience. And it was very sad for me. So when I came home, I thought of a friend of mine um, named Barbara. And when her mom died, her mom, she was not very close with at all. But when her mom died, she was 75 years old. Barbara decided to set up an altar in her house. And it was just a small little place in the corner of her house. And she put some pictures of her mom and some letters her mom had written and things like that. And she decided that she was going to sit down at that altar, maybe five minutes, 10 minutes every day for 75 days. 
And she did that. It was a way of her clearing her grief, her relationship with her mom. It was attention that she wanted to place uh, you know, on her own grief, really. So I decided to do the same thing. So after my mom as died, as a, I created a ritual as a way of creating a bridge because it was such an unhappy, distorted kind of a funeral and death. So I did the same thing, and I set up this altar. I had a piece of her hair, actually. I had a pair of her glasses. I had, um, you know, lovely pictures of her mother, of her. Um, and I found myself sitting there every day for five minutes, but I started writing, and I wrote all the things that I remembered about her. And every day I'd write something else. And one day I actually wrote all the foods she used to make. So I was thinking to Blair that whether she sets up an altar or not, that one thing she could do, I don't know if she has a cookbook, Blair, if you have a cookbook of your mom's, but you could also sit down and write down all the things that you remember your mom making and cooking and all those lovely pies that you talked about and, you know, all the parties that she had. So, again, a ritual, a way to make a bridge. That's sweet. That made me cry. Mm. <laughs> oh, I feel so bad for Blair. I'm so sorry. I know. And, you know, praying um, is just a powerful thing. Again, to me, it's not religious. I was, I'm very grateful. I always say my father was an atheist. My mom was an Orthodox Jew when she grew up, and, I, and my father was an atheist. But I feel very, very grateful to feel open-minded about what the possibility of what spirit is. And for me, I feel grateful to not have a specific mo modality of the way I have to think. So I'm glad I could create my own rituals. And, um, of course, I found a poem by Mary Oliver. <laughs> I would like to read it because we love Mary Oliver here. We do. And the poem is called Praying. And she says, it doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and draw, try to make them elaborate. It isn't a contest, but the doorway to thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. Mm, that's so beautiful, Bobby. Well, should we take a quick break and then come back and keep talking more about Blair's letter? Sure. Okay. My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. And we're back. So... I wanted to say something about Blair's letter in terms of her question mark at the end about how to, how can she, you know, continue to create ritual even though she's being alone. And I kind of thought about, um, I thought about like what 
a family function to remember, or like a big gathering, a, f- a funeral, um, a, a wake, whatever it is, a memorial. What is it about that that is is soul satisfying? I'm trying to like distill it down to its, its essence. And I think maybe the essential like, bit of that is like the affirmation that that person was good, good and that person was loved. That person was special because you come together and you share the stories, you eat this food that's comforting and, you know, people reminisce, you know, even when it's a controversial figure sometime about, about who this person was, it's validating their life. And a lot of times it, it can feel really helpful. I think to say, you know, this person was so lovely. I remember when they helped me with this, they were a great neighbor. They were a great grandmother. They were a great husband or person or human. And so what could it take knowing that that's one of the things that feels most positive about the togetherness? Like how can you affirm that without other people being there to like physical? And I want to mention there is one element of this that is irreplaceable, which is physical touch. You know, like that is irreplaceable. Uh, There's ways of like, you know, maybe self-soothing with like, baths or you know comforting yourself that you can you can kind of do but that is kind of irreplaceable a hug accompanied by this kind of affirmation is irreplaceable but maybe Blair you could think about what can we do from an emotional standpoint to affirm so maybe it's about you writing the things down about your mom that you would think other people might say about her you know like and not just I mean or you could collect those things from other people what they actually would say but like maybe it would feel this is just a a a, a thought you know but like what would it feel like to sit there and, and imagine what your aunt or uncle or your kids uh would say or your dad would say about your mom and to to read those things out loud to yourself or to put them in a like a you know put them down on paper or whatever using imagery very powerful tool yeah um and I, I mean, to tie it to food, I mean, like we discussed in an episode a couple of weeks ago, I think it was actually in our heartbreak episode where we kind of tucked into the chemistry of food and emotion and food and grief, like how, you know, that all ties together. And so, you know, I don't know if you're a cook, Blair, um, but if you are, like maybe there's a way to kind of recreate those things. Like Bobby just said, get the recipe book, you know, maybe just like getting those smells going or even if it's not stuff that uh your mom would have made like maybe it's stuff that you would have thought you would have enjoyed at her at her wake or at her memorial um you know a big batch of macaroni and cheese and if you're just a one I understand I'm a one as well so I know that it can feel daunting to make a big batch of something sometimes as a single person but you know you can you can always make it and and give some portions out to other people. I know, mom, you did that last week, and it felt really good to be able to to give some food away to on your ba- friends on Valentine's Day. I got special lasagna from Zaza Lasagna pop up, and I got wonderful little packages of it and little treats that you had made. And I brought them to some of the people that I know live alone and didn't have anybody to celebrate with, and it felt so good. It was such a treat for me. Mm. Yeah. So maybe there's that, you know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe you make a big batch of something that you would have brought to a memorial and you don't have to worry that, oh, well, I can't make this whole thing because what am I going to do with it? You know, maybe you give it to people you know, maybe you give it to people you don't know who need food. Exactly. Like I thought of another idea too. 
which is that um, we had discussed that you and I did sushi on Zoom. And I think that if so, if somebody has siblings and they can't get together with them or other people in the family, they could make a favorite dish like macaroni and cheese on Zoom and then talk talk about their family member. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, uh, hundreds of thousands, if not, I guess, probably millions of people now have been forced to do virtual wakes and funerals and memorials. And we can go ahead and be like, why not try a virtual memorial? And I'm not trying to say, take away anything from the power of that, if that's been a good experience, but you know, it's very different to say the least. And, uh, you know, I think that it's really also important to make people feel seen for what they're losing in this. Like it, that's a reality, you know, like the reality is that having a zoom memorial for your loved one is is very uh is very difficult and it's not fair and it's also can and it's also an opera you know who knows because again i don't want to project but it's all we got it's all we got exactly we work with what we got and we were all pivoting in certain ways but i want to make people really feel seen and knowing we see you that is very fucked up like i'm sorry that not only are you losing someone who's so important to you but you aren't able to mourn them in a way that can feel comfortable and and warm. And I mean, I think that, you know, if you want me to be really honest, I think that um, one of the best things we can do is pivot and try to find the ways that uh, acutely in this situation in the life we're living right now can help. And that includes Zoom memorials and it includes doing all these kinds of different rituals to find comfort. And and keep your your hope and your eye on the day when we're it's safe to gather again and we can you know hopefully uh gather together to recreate the kind of rituals as a group that we we missed out on now you know what i mean and part of it is maybe just like plugging up plugging up those uh you know i don't know do, doing what we need to do in in the immediate in the present to uh get through and with the, your eye on the prize of that like you know we'll be able to get to it someday yeah it's hard it's hard blair i'm so Very sorry hard. it's really terrible and absolutely and, and to reach out and to feel that our processing podcast somehow made things a little bit more comforting for blair is a really heartwarming feeling yeah it's really nice it's community it's all of us being a grieving community together totally well community is so important and well just learning that more and more each day i wanted to talk a little bit just briefly um i found it interesting to do a little bit of research today into the kind of history because i do love history of things um i have another podcast on hrn that's about food history very different from this show um, but, uh, I found a little article on, um, a website called winehistoryproject.com by a, a writer named Sarah Lohman. And she did a kind of brief, but very comprehensive history of kind of food and mourning rituals. And so I want to read you a bit from that. So she starts by talking about, um, cannibalism. And cannibalism, now this is going to sound shocking, but, you know, we're not talking about cannibalism of people, like, we're not talking about, like, the Donner Party, you know, not for survival or for pleasure. We're talking about uh, the ritual of cannibalism performed at funerals by, you know, uh, ingesting the dead. As How a long ago of, was this? 
Well, I mean, it was a long time ago, but you know, I'm sure that there are probably still some cultures of people that do this and that, I mean, I think that's something we need to respect. Um, so the Paleolithic rituals survived in different ways and cultures uh, in vastly different parts of the world through the 20th century, most notably in Papua New Guinea, where a loved one was consumed to pass on their spirit to descendants and uh, in the Amazon River Basin, where a corpse is eaten by a family to emphasize that a body is just meat, a physical vessel for human life. When we see similar traditions span far across the world, anthropologists take it as a sign that it is a ritual that evolved early in human existence before, before humans spread across the planet. So I thought that was very, very interesting. Um, and again, it's so unusual to us, but and not something, you know, I'm looking to partake in, or I'm sure most of our listeners, but I do think it's like useful to understand these traditions that they're And if I may add, it's not so far from what we long to do. I mean, how many times people exactly. tell me they take the clothing and breathe in the smell? You well, know, or they, yeah. or they want to, you know, lie so close. You want to take in the person who's passing. You just want to take them in forever. Totally. I, I totally, I mean, absolutely, 100%. In Catholicism, parishioners take communion, which is the cracker and the wine, when they take the blood and the body of Christ. So this is kind of an evolution of that, um, of that uh, kind of earlier cannibalism. Um, and then food began to take a more symbolic meaning. She goes on to say at least... 4,000 years ago in ancient Egypt, where food like bread and beer were left in the tombs for the deceased for their spiritual nourishment. Paintings of cattle and birds were on the walls would provide further sustenance for uh, once the worldly food ran out. At King, now this I thought was very interesting, at King Midas's funeral in 8th century uh, Anatolia, located in modern-day Turkey, a feast of goat stew and fermented beverage was presented in his tomb for his spiritual nourishment, but was then consumed by the funeral attendees. Then the table, dinnerware, and leftovers were sealed in the tomb with Midas's body and found in 1957 um, by archaeologists from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, this I also thought was fascinating. Corpse cakes are pop were popular in Germany. Bread was left to rise on the chest of the deceased. The sentiment... I. I mean, so incredible. I like, I loved this. The sentiment was that the bread absorbed the positive aspects of the deceased. The bread was baked and eaten, and those aspects of the deceased's personality passed on to the descendants. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, yeah. Historically, funeral food was a way to help the living find meaning in death. It represented a passing on of a spirit, either to the descendants of the deceased or perhaps to the higher realm. Today, although its symbolic rituals around food and mourning still exist, food's most important purpose is to comfort the mourners. Mm, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Reminds me of our discussion we had with um, Peter Shelsky about Shivas. Yeah. And we yeah. talked about the meaning of all the things that are done. That's really wonderful. I'd love a copy of that, by the way. I think it's really Totally, special. yeah. I'll send you the article. Um, I thought it was really, like, fascinating. Um and talking about and just that kind of turning point where like they where the author of this article goes on the end I'm just going to repeat it historically funeral food was a way to help the living find meaning in death it represented a passing on of a spirit either to the descendants of the deceased or perhaps to a higher realm today although symbolic rituals around food and mourning still exist the most important purpose is to comfort the mourners so i think like 
you know, while we started off learning about this kind of tradition as something that we're like, oh, cannibalism, but really like, you know, people taking in the deceased person literally by, by ingesting them. Um, and now like a lot of times, you know, at funerals, we like when, when dad died and we did the memorial for him, we baked all his favorite things. We like made meatballs and lasagna and like all that kind of stuff. And and we didn't have many guests. We just did it anyway. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we did it anyway. We had to do it. It was like part of what we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it really isn't all that different in, in, in the meaning, right? Like it's not that different to make a meatball because somebody loved it and eating it makes you think of them and want to hold on to them than it is to literally eat them. And I'm not, I'm not encouraging cannibalism <laughs> on the podcast. If that's part of your religion or your, or your faith, I'm not, you know, shaming you, but, um, I think you understand what I'm trying to say, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of like lineage of, of that, uh, that kind of ritual. And so you brought up something to sh- uh, pivot again. Um, you brought up something before that I thought was very important when you when you talked about um, imagining what other people would be saying at the memorial service or whatever, or imagining what it would be like to have uh, you know people around you. Imagery is a very very powerful thing. And I know as a therapist, you know, I was trained as a Gestalt therapist. Um, I so admire the work of Belarus Napristak, who's one of the best-known um, creative visualization people in the, in the world, really. And really what it is is that to have, to imagine in your mind's eye, you know, what you would like to be happening or what you feel you want to see um, actually changes our chemistry. It actually can really heal grief by imagining you know, all the loved ones around you and imagining what they would be saying and imagining how you'd all be sharing food and you'd be telling stories about, in this case, Blair's mom. There's something, it's not just our our imagination. It actually changes our chemistry. So I encourage you, and I'd like to um, shout out to Belarus. Her website is called healthjourneys.com. And um, she's actually so well known that the Department of Defense uses her um imagery and sends the troops over with them so that they can have a positive vision of outcome. You know, I used her tapes myself when I had surgery because she has a, if you sit there and you imagine a positive outcome, it can actually change how you do in in something. Mm. So interesting. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, yeah, I think I just, you know, I wanted to say that because I think a lot of times we go based on our adrenaline and our uh, imagined needs, you know what I mean? Like, or, or our feelings of need, right? And being like, now I'm not saying that togetherness by any means um, in memorialization is not an actual legitimate need. I'm just saying like in general in life, I think sometimes when we're not having a need met, whatever that need is, it's worthwhile to sit and try to distill it down to what the like root feeling is there. You know what I mean? So if the root feeling is a need for memorialization and uh, maybe the invalidation of like who this person was, maybe there's a chance to get that. You know, like the same thing as like if you're being triggered in a relationship, you're, you know, somebody says something or somebody ignores you or doesn't call you when you want them to and you get triggered or upset. You can take a minute and be like, well, 
what is what about this is actually upsetting to me? Is there a way that I can kind of peel back all the layers of this until I get to the center and is the center within my grasp? And often it is, you know what I mean? In another way, in another form. Exactly. Well, the real solution and the real thing that can like manage your pain or give you some like um, some calmness and stillness is actually within your grasp, you know? And so, and sometimes it isn't. And I'm not trying to say that like our, um, our kind of like guttural needs aren't valid or anything like that. But to like in this time when we're having to do a lot of self-soothing and a lot of like reimagining of, of what wholeness feels like, it's worthwhile to kind of try to take the time to in an inflamed or an upset or an emotional state to be like, well, is there like a seed here that I can touch, you know? Exactly. It actually, you know, brings us back to Mary Oliver's poem, you know, when she said, it doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Right. Beautiful. Loved it. Well, Blair, we really were sending, um, you know, actually also, I Blair, you, we would love to know what, um, but maybe before and after this episode, what you did do um, to memorialize your mom. We're really interested. We'd love to... Uh, catch up with that and, and let our listeners know what kind of things you were able to do. And, you know, just know whatever it is that you do is okay. There's no right answer. If you sit and stare at the wall for two weeks straight, cause that's all you can do, you know? Absolutely. I mean, we want to try to encourage like healthy, you know, healing and mental health support, but also sometimes that means just being in your, in your pain and, and that's okay. Um, and yeah, let us know how you're doing and so, so sorry um, about your mom and, you know, we're thinking of you and thank you for listening and thank you for being vulnerable and writing that beautiful letter and we're so glad that you are inspired by Monica's episode because we loved that too. And uh, yeah, thank you so much and take care of yourselves and each other and hang in there and stay safe and uh, February is, you know, nearly over. And, uh, I just remember that I did tell you, I predicted all this out because <laughs> I am a farmer from the farmer's almanac. Bobby, any final, any parting words? Sending love to you all. Okay. All right, guys. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org.
Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.